sometimes things can go viral before you've had a chance to even think about how you might position yourself with your branding and your reputation. Welcome to Careers in Fashion. Hi everyone, welcome to Careers in Fashion. Today's episode will be looking at intellectual property. Firstly, we'll kick off with introductions. My name is Segan Tesfa-Georgis and I work as a careers consultant for LCF's Graduate Futures. Um, I'm joined today by three guests who are all quite well versed in all things IP um, and I'll let them introduce themselves starting with Roxanne. Hi, I'm Roxanne Peters. I'm the Creative and Cultural IP Rights Specialist here at UAL. And my role is really to to support students and graduates to um, really recognise the value and importance of their intellectual property. Brilliant. And we've got Andrew. Hi, everyone. Um, My name's Andrew. I'm a lawyer uh, at the law firm Sheridan's. Uh, Sheridan's is a media and entertainment uh, and technology practice. Um, My areas of specialism are intellectual property, which we'll be talking about today, uh, and commercial law. I advise a lot of clients in the fashion industry from designers to e-commerce businesses um, uh, and many, many others. Brilliant. And we've also got Eleanor. Hi, I'm Eleanor Rocket. I am a recent LCF graduate. I finished an MA in fashion design management in 2019. Prior to this, I studied law. Um, That's really where my background in intellectual property started. And now I work as a freelance fashion business consultant advising independent fashion brands. Okay, brilliant. So let's kick straight off, um, I guess, with the first topic of conversation, um, which is looking at protecting and managing IP in your work. Now, for me, I'm a complete novice, so um, I'm going to kick off with some basic questions to get us started. And so firstly, um, are you guys able to give us a brief overview of what IP is um, and maybe the different and most relevant rights for fashion as well? Um, So IP uh, is a system that's in place to protect uh, intangible things, uh, protects creativity really. Um, There are various different rights, some are registered, um, some just exist on creation Um, and it's it's a great value to IP so it's great for students to be aware of these different rights and to use them to their benefit. Um, Some of the key rights in fashion will be um, copyrights um, for artistic and literary works um, and also uh, trademarks uh, and passing off, which is protects uh, brand names and logos, um, and designs, which um, protect the appearance uh, of, of products or, or clo- clothing. Um, I quite like that the idea of intellectual property rights in fashion is to provide something that inspires and enables innovation while also restricting imitation because you don't want anybody to be able to copy your ideas but you want to be able to get inspiration from other designers to use in your own work. And would you say that is what makes it I guess incredibly important for students that sort of just starting out in their creative careers? Yeah. Completely. What? what yeah just adding to what Eleanor said there yeah something I didn't mention is that these rights give you an exclusive right Mm. Um, to to use whatever you've created for a certain time period Um, so no one else can use it as Eleanor said no one else can copy it Mm. Um, now you may be able to um, grant other people the right to use it um, under what's known as a license um, but it gives you that exclusivity and you the control over how you want to exploit the rights that you have 
Okay, perfect. Now, again, just thinking from a student's point of view, um, and I'll put this to all of you, what would you say are maybe the top sort of three things that students need to be thinking about uh, when it comes to protecting their work? Andrew, you've kind of touched upon a few bits already, but yeah, if I could put that to all of you. Yeah, I think, I think particularly for fashion students, I think it's really um, important to keep a track of and a record of their creative process. Mm -hmm. I think there's often um, a lot of value in kind of the actual process itself, whether it's through sketches, mood boards, um, CAD designs, and, you know, sometimes there's more value in an image of, for example, a garment than the as, as well as the actual garment itself so it's just making sure that nothing's overlooked or anything's kind of discarded when actually it could be a really important part of building up your eventually your brand or you know your reputation when you're collaborating with others so that's one of the top top things I think is quite important there um don't know what others others might have other thoughts as well I think my number one tip having been a student very recently yeah. is if you don't understand what you're signing, don't sign it. Mm. Don't sign your life away if you don't understand what you're signing. And there's lots of ways of kind of getting advice about what you're what you're signing and who you can ask. Um, I mean, whether that's asking your your teacher, your lecturer, or um, looking looking for further advice. I think it's definitely worth if you're unsure of something, um, don't go ahead and sign it anyway. And Eleanor, from like a practical point of view, do you, do you recommend that, you know, if a student did have a contract and there were things they didn't understand for them to actually go back to the person who presented them with the contract or like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's quite dependent on circumstance. For example, um, I was an intern a few times um, during my MA and I got presented with this absolutely huge contract that most of the other interns didn't really read and just signed it because they really wanted to work for this designer. Yeah. So do it as informally as you'd like. I mean, I spoke to him and I said, oh, I'm, I'm not sure why this is included. And the designer honestly had no idea what was actually in this contract because he'd outsourced it to somebody. So once I spoke to him about it, he thought, oh, OK, that's interesting. Um, maybe I can go back to them and reframe it like this. So you can just have a have a conversation with them, I think, and that's quite important so that everybody who's involved in this contract understands and is on the same page. Mm, and I think also from a student point of view, like having that confidence to do that, because I think it can be maybe like overwhelming when they're thinking about, you know, uh, protecting their work and thinking about the legal side of things. So I think sometimes it is also a confidence thing, um, like having the information um, and then feeling comfortable enough to, you know, to say, actually, I don't understand this. Like, you know, what am I signing? Definitely. And I think also part of that is understanding what the rights are in the first place. And as I, as I touched on earlier, some of these rights will subsist automatically. So as soon as you scribble a note or draw a picture on a piece of paper, that's a copyright work. That's a work of art. And you have a period of protection for that. Mm. Similar with designs, there are unregistered design rights that are protected. So you may not think actually what you're doing as an intern is has any value or is creating any IP. But if you were drawing sketches or coming up with a logo or something, there's IP within that. Um, so you need to then be careful that pe people aren't trying to take advantage in terms of what when you're signing agreements, what that agreement actually contains. You know, are you granting them those rights that you've created um, without without knowing it? Uh, and sometimes we we often see 
um, bigger brands do try and do that. They may present you with what uh, looks like a confidentiality agreement or otherwise known as a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll include provisions around intellectual property within that as well. So there are little things like that that you have to be wary of. And Eleanor's totally right. If you don't understand something, don't sign it. Don't bury your head in the sand. Mm. Um, try and take advice. And there is lots of advice out there um, and friendly lawyers uh, that you can come and speak to. <laughs> <laughs> that's always good to know um again I guess I'm looking at things from a student point of view I can imagine Roxanne that there's loads of concerns that probably come your way uh, from sort of you know LCF students or UAL students um in relation to their own work um, and to their IP so what would you say are sort of the regular concerns that come up yeah I think that there's there's a, a number of things that I have um, increasingly been asked about. And I, I suppose I wanted to, before I just touch upon them all, also preface this with when, I'm when any of us are talking about intellectual property within fashion, it's always thinking about um, the fact that it works in exactly the same way for any anyone's work that you're also um, inspired by as well. And I think that's brings me on to one of the main questions that I get asked particularly for fashion it's particularly complex with fashion with this whole um, line between um, as Eleanor touched upon before um, around inspiration and imitation so um, I get asked a lot by um, not only fashion students but you know if fashion students are collaborating as well with other students who might be you know graphic designers illustrators etc it's you know just to say as well, I've been asked, you know, is it is it true this myth around changing something seven times and it makes it okay? That's a complete myth. Just okay. <laughs> it's something that comes up. So um, yeah, the inspiration and imitation, obviously it, it's very subjective. And I think as a very kind of, just as a gentle or kind of bit of guidance, I think, you know, the more different you can make your work, you know, the further away you're going to be from imitating something and someone else's work. So to make it as kind of original, authentic and innovative as possible. Um, and I think um, particularly, um, again, for fashion, I think um, I get a lot of questions around um, social media, really understanding sort of how much to share, when to share it, um, what to do if you think someone's copied your work. Um, so there's lots of questions around social media which we might touch upon later as well um and i think i think particularly within um again within a ual context thinking about um when students are collaborating with their peers but also if they're working um with industry on industry projects and there's this increasing questions around um co-creation um, ownership that we've touched upon already um, and then also really um, if more and more people are working at the intersection of fashion and tech I think it's also really looking at kind of the ownership of intellectual property if say somebody is developing a new app or a new platform that involves maybe the designer collaborating with a, a software developer and so it's really like kind of exploring these new territories and understanding that the principles of intellectual property, you know, work the same in a physical and digital space as well. So I think they're the kind of main things that come up, really. Um, okay, cool. And just, I know you, you guys have touched upon contracts. 
um, already, like at a really basic level, let's say, for example, you're working with your friends. I know you mentioned collaboration. Like, how do you even know what to put in a contract? Like, where, where do they begin? That's probably a massive question. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, Andrew, maybe Andrew can come in on this one. But like, well, you, can, you can put anything in it. It's just whether it actually means anything uh, in reality, I guess. But yeah. no, I mean, I think it's useful also to bear in mind that it, when we're talking about IP rights, there may be um, the, the starting point really is that there are different rules around ownership and what you can and can't do with them. Um, so, you know, that that informs what you actually put into the contract. So for, for copyright, if you if you're the if you create the work, you are the owner with trademarks and with registered rights like registered community designs. It's the person that actually applies to register that trademark or design that owns it. Um, also to bear in mind with copyright works is that if you're employed by someone, the employer will own the, the, the works. Um, if you commission someone to design something for you, which may happen in fashion, quite often someone will want someone to design them a logo or some artistic element to have feature on a t-shirt or something. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the person that, that you, you ask to design it for you will own it unless you make sure those rights are transferred um, to you. So there are all these considerations that will go in, into, into the contract. Mm -hmm. um, but ownership is definitely a really important point who's going to own what, whatever you're working on and what you're developing subject to all these different rules for different rights um, and then the scope of, of how it how you want it to be exploited or used and the term and the territory those are always important considerations too okay and what about like from the point of view I guess if a student has seen that their own work has in fact been copied um, in, in in that instance is there any advice or you know things that maybe have come up Roxanne or Andrew or any advice that you know that you would give to students in those sorts of instances yeah so um I mean I think Andrew will probably follow up after I speak about this but I think um as a as an initial again starting point um if if somebody thinks someone's copied their work I think it's really important before acting upon it immediately to really understand which bit of your work you think has been copied you know which bit of it might be you know possible what's known as an infringement so possibly a copyright infringement or a trademark infringement whatever it might be um, and then as a starting point I would so it's actually happened to a couple of students whilst I've been at UAL um, you don't want to start by being too unfriendly but obviously you want to kind of make it clear that you know what your rights are and you know that something's occurred. So um, as, as a starting point, you know, n sending a kind of friendly sort of message, but making it clear that there's clearly been some, something that's happened. And then um, Andrew and Eleanor might follow up on this with um, the next step, if that doesn't have any effect. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would actually say that there's a, just a step before that, which may seem obvious perhaps, but screenshot and record mm. whatever the infringement is and make sure you get a date and a contemporary uh, you know a clear date on when you first found that infringement because once it, people may try and remove things once you've contacted them so you want to make sure you have the evidence um there in the first place um otherwise friendly email can be a good place to start i mean i, I would also 
I mean, uh, maybe it's self-serving, but I'd, I would also suggest speak to an, a professional or someone that can advise you on, on whether they, the rights have actually been infringed. Um, with trademarks, in fact, if you approach someone um, and it's not justified and they haven't infringed, there can be repercussions for you. So you do need to tre tread a little bit carefully. Um, uh, Eleanor, have you got anything? Yeah, it's along those lines. I mean, everybody's probably heard of Diet Prada. I'm really, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Diet Prada, like following what they post, but don't panic and share on social media to kind of shame somebody. Um, I mean, social media shaming of like so-and-so's copied me and sharing both of the works side by side has become more prevalent because of sites like Diet Prada. And I think this is something I'm really wary of. Um, because quite often, if you look through Diet Prada, I mean, most of the posts are probably funny, um, funny copy images, but um, a lot of it can kind of showcase things which realistically, if you did go to court, wouldn't actually hold up. So just be wary of kind of social media sharing and um, posting images side by side to, to essentially call out people for copying. Hmm. Yeah, I think that can be a useful tool in some some cases. If you certainly if you've contacted them and you're not getting anywhere with it, but I agree, you have to be a little bit careful about about doing that. Yeah, it's just think it think it through and get advice before you do that. I think. Um, I guess moving on then, uh, guys, and thinking about the current situation. Obviously, we're in very uncertain times. Um, I think this podcast is probably a good example of that, where we're all at home, we're all at home, you know, doing this recording, where typically we would be together in one room and um, doing the podcast. So um, just to throw it out to all of you, like, how do you think the current situation um, is going to affect the way students are, are sort of currently managing their IP? Again, quite a broad question. I think in some ways it gives people, well, uh, some time perhaps um, to kind of take stock on what I IP they actually have. Um, certainly that's something we're recommending that clients do uh, if they have extra time at the moment um, to look at and audit what IP there is in their business. So if you're a student, that would be looking at what, what, what have I actually created, you know, what copyright works, what potential designs. Um, also, considering registering rights. If you haven't already registered your brand name as a trademark, take some time to look into that um, or, or consider whether there are opportunities to register designs as well. Um, so I think there are some opportunities there. There are also certainly some sort of practical difficulties that have come because of COVID in terms of all the, the trademark and design registries are a bit, you know, processing everything a bit slower. Um, so that's certainly a bit of a challenge uh, as well. Um, mm. But I think uh, another topic is is that, you know, as everyone's kind of having to use digital tools a lot more, um, yeah. perhaps there are opportunities for you to use and exploit IP you've created in the digital world, or there might be digital uses that you hadn't thought of. So sort of thinking about those types of opportunities as well. That sort of leads me on to uh, the next question that I was having a think about and that was to do with digital submission so um, what effect will changing to the digital submissions have and I think Eleanor might be um, best place to have a chat about this bit. Yeah I mean it's quite exciting for some people um, I think for some students because yeah. 3D and 2D design and exploring the software that they can use with 
with these tools is quite exciting for students um, and be, and then being able to kind of create your virtual garment which can be then turned into a physical garment um, if you want to at the end and I mean it's an interesting new kind of paradigm that we're moving towards um, especially in fashion at the moment that we're going to have to utilize digital and virtual realms much more than we do at the moment mm. um, in terms of careers I think it will massively um, advantage students for the future because they're going to have these skills already um, to be able to use in, in future roles. And in terms of how this fits in with IP, I'm sure Andrew will be able to add to it, but I think it's there's going to be kind of um, a, a lot of importance placed on kind of licensing deals and um, yeah, I guess kind of contracts with collaborations, as much as it's important in, in the physical realm at the moment, it will become even more important um, when we move across to digital. Yeah. Roxanne, did you want to add anything? Yeah, no, I was just going to, just just to kind of reinforce um, some of the things Eleanor was just talking about, just really a question to to Eleanor and Andrew, really, of what what they think the main advantages of, of digital fashion might, might be sort of now and as Ellen was just saying, sort of move, moving forwards and what, what happens next, what you think those main advantages of digital fashion might be? I think there's definitely benefits from a sustainability um, perspective. Um, if people are actually creating fashion, virtual fashion, and buying it only for virtual use and not physical use, then there's clearly that helps with uh, reducing waste. And, and we're all aware of the issues of, of waste in, in the fashion industry. Um, I think also, um, as we've kind of touched on, um, there are a lot of um, opportunities for people that create um, strong IP in, in licensing it to, to platforms or into games uh, mm. or virtual worlds where there may be a demand. I do a lot of work in the interactive sector as well as fashion and one thing we've noticed is there's an increasing de demand for real life and sort of strong uh, fashion brand, brands that can be licensed into these games and these virtual worlds. Uh, so I think there's opportunities there. Okay, fantastic. I really like the point as well that Eleanor um, had made about, I guess, upskilling in terms of looking at things from like a career's point of view, because uh, I'm finding even from a sort of personal point of view and from a department point of view, um, you know, we're all having to get to grips with um, you know, the sort of digital side of just everyday life. So I can imagine from a student's point of view, thinking about, you know, the advantages of kind of digital fashion and um, perhaps uh, looking at upskilling and taking up methods um, and really just adapting to what's happening and just adapting to what's happening today, really. Um, so that's probably one thing. Um, I also wanted to, again, you guys have sort of touched upon this already, but thinking about sharing work online. Um, I know a lot of the time, you know, people are very fast to just put their portfolios up, put things on Instagram. There's not necessarily a lot of thought, um, you know, behind sharing work. So I don't know what advice you guys can give in regards to, you know, e-portfolios as an example. I think with e-portfolios, for me, it's important to kind of, before you post anything or before you share anything, step back and think and make an informed decision about exactly what it is that you're sharing, when you're sharing it, and who you're sharing it with. Um, 
for example, it might be that you're applying for internship positions or you're posting or you're a freelancer. Um, you just graduated and you're trying to find some design work. Be wary of what exactly you're sharing and where you're posting it and who and who can see it. Um, I spoke to Roxanne before about this, about yeah. talking about knowing your own value and valuing your work. Um, you don't need to feel obliged at all to share everything all the time. For example, you might share a portfolio with a potential employer. You don't need to share your entire degree's worth of work with them. Why not think about um, a kind of novel way of doing this and just share little snippets of a project, for example, that's really relevant to them? Um, I also think protecting your portfolios is really important. Um, for, for example, if you have a website and you host your portfolio on there for people to view, um, can you password protect this? I mean, it's reasonably easy to set that up, whether you're on Squarespace or Wix, etc. Um, I guess Andrew's advice probably would be NDAs and confidentiality um, agreements. Am I right in thinking that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think, as you said, there are practical steps that you should take um, the context is always really important and don't overshare. Um, understand why you're being invited to share it. Get as much information as you can before you share it. Don't share everything. But then, as you said, password, protect everything. Mark everything confidential um, as far as possible. Tell people when you're giving it to them, either by email or, or in person, this is confidential and it should only be used for the purposes of this meeting. It shouldn't be used any further. Um, that will give you an extra layer of protection, which may be enforceable um, for breach of confidentiality if, if someone misused it. Uh, and then also at, at the other end, end, you can use NDAs or confidentiality agreements, although the reality is for students that can be quite difficult if you're invited by a big brand for a really exciting meeting. The last thing you want to do really is introduce yourself and then ask them to sign an NDA. Um, yeah. Uh, but even if they don't sign it, if you've taken it, uh, and you and you put it in front of them, then they know that what you're giving them is confidential. Uh, and also that will have an, a deterrent effect because people will think, well, actually, you know, they did tell me that this is confidential. But if you just give it to them freely without saying any of that, then there's a much higher risk there that they're going to misuse it or, or try and yeah, take, take, take the mickey. So I guess to be on the safe side, you know, if you were in that sort of situation where you were going to share your um, portfolio, let's just say over email or sending, you know, sending a sample of work as a PDF or whatever the case is, um, then I guess just to be on the safe side to say, you know, this is confidential and this isn't to be shared for anything other than the purpose of, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, would you say that is good practice to get into from now? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that's really good practice. Mm. Um and, you know, I mean, most uh, clients, everyone now really will have an email footer in any event, which says that the purposes of this email is, you know, mm -hmm. it's all confidential. So it's, create your own one of those, really, uh, and just put it on all your emails and all your external correspondence. And then that covers you. It's quite mm -hmm. easy to do. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's a really kind of practical tip and I think you know once that becomes a habit you do, I guess you don't even think twice about it um, in terms of liaising with um, companies and that sort of thing um, Roxanne I don't know if you want to add anything from like an LCF UAL point of view on that or yeah it was just it was just an additional point around um, you know sharing sharing 
content generally online. I think um, there's, there's a couple of things that just popped into my head whilst um, Eleanor and Andrew were talking, which was, um, you know, when you're submitting your own portfolios, um, it's also, always important to remember that if anything featured within the portfolio, um, you know, the copyright in that, for example, belongs to someone else, that you, you know, you have the permission to then be able to submit that to, you know, to somebody, to an industry partner or whatever it might be so it's it's known as third party rights so if the rights belong to someone else you need to make sure you have you know permission to use them in certain ways um, and then the other thing is is if you're if you're collaborating and working with um, again whether it was an industry partner or you're applying for that internship it's making sure that when you then submit that portfolio or put images on your social channels or uh, on your website that you actually have permission to use that um, material because I think that's something that's come up a lot actually um, from students across UAL is you know it hasn't been explicit enough you know they've they've done a, a, a sort of industry brief or an internship or you know they've collaborated in some way and quite naturally students want to be able to showcase you know the work that they've done um, and they haven't always had permission to kind of use something that might feature someone's trademark, for example. So it's just it might seem really obvious, but just having that extra little line in your email contract agreement, whatever it looks like, has that, you know, that you're able to then use things in your portfolios. OK, awesome. And um, I'll probably say a lot of the questions that I've been throwing at you guys has been from the point of view of, um, you know, I'm a student, I'm at university. Um, but Roxanne, what would you say in terms of, I guess, that transition and now thinking about next steps and now thinking about um, sort of the world of business, if you like? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, everything we've talked about, as you said, is sort of from a student perspective whilst they're at university. But I think that transition in just a, a point of kind of reality as well, that transition of going into practice and business or setting up your own enterprise. Mm. Um, has and does happen whilst the students are still currently at UAL so um, you might have like in yourself experienced these kind of conversations where you know some students are already in a position to think about for example um, something that happens a lot um, is you know thinking about registering yeah a trademark or design and identifying sitting down with them and really getting them to think about how they value what they're showing me and then thinking about you know what steps they take to make that transition um and so I think that's kind of really important to kind of for, for students being familiar with um different you know whether it's the trademark database or knowing when to go to um a friendly lawyer like Andrew to get that further guidance and I think that really to help with that transition it's really getting them to think about the value that they are then kind of presenting and thinking about intellectual property whilst it's obviously about kind of financial reward and kind of investment and um, kind of innovation it's also thinking very much in this transitional period about you know reputation um, and we touched upon that earlier on with social media and really thinking about what they want to put out to the world what impact they want to have you know do they do they want to work with a company that is unethical so it's really getting them to think about everything that makes up who they're going to become and want to work with and who's going to want to work with them 
they're some of the things that I sit down and speak to students about at this sort of time. And I guess from a like maybe signposting or resource point of view, um, where, you know, are there certain places that you direct, um, I guess, alum or students to go to in these instances? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, if obviously if, you know, I'm not giving and I'm always makes clear, I'm not giving legal advice to yeah. students. It's very much giving guidance and support. And so I think signposting to um, a lot of law firms, including um, Sheridan's, um, who Andrew um, works for, um, will be able to very kindly support and give pro bono advice to our students. So I think it, there's resources that are legal resources. And then there's also um, a number of online kind of resources that I might signpost students to. Um, UAL has its own um, platform um, called Creative IP, which is a, a great resource um, of articles, guidance, further signposting um, more broadly with IP. But um, there's a lot on fashion already on, on the site there. Um, but some of the others might have, um, Eleanor particularly might have some other thoughts on sort of signposting and resources that you might add to that, Eleanor? Yeah, I think so. Um, something that I've regularly used is kind of, if you just search gov, gov IP, um, then you can find lots of kind of mini videos, which are quite good at explaining how to um, utilise or how to deal with intellectual property in the creative industries. Um, I think finding sites which specialise in talking about the creative industries because it's quite different to other industries. Um, yeah, there's lots of different different sites and uh, information available out there. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, a, a good, I think as Roxanne started on, on a really good starting point for when people are getting serious and moving into business, setting up their own things, is to go on um, the IPO website uh, and to search the trademarks and design registers uh, to have a look, you know, if you've got a brand name or um, that you want to use or a name for your business, um, then that's a really good starting point to, to search to see if it's available, if there are other brand names that might be similar or identical, um, and then to look into whether you can register that or not. Um, uh, and another thing which is often overlooked is, and really important these days, is the online presence and searching domain names. Are the domain names free for my own personal name or as a designer or for my business name are the social media handles that I need. And you, you know, you'd be amazed the amount of social media handle queries and issues um, we get these days. Um, so it's, it's those types of things to start searching and looking to see if they're available. Um, Cause it's gonna be important that you have that strong brand presence, particularly mm -hmm. online. Definitely. Um, and also just thinking about, I guess, beyond university and, um, looking at IP as obviously being quite core, a core aspect, if you like, of the uh, fashion business or somebody starting up their own enterprise. And what would you say, Andrew, in terms of how to actually create value um, from your IP or, you know, in simple terms, how can they make money um, from their IP? Uh, well, I think the starting point is that they need to think about registering it, as we've kind of said throughout. So if there are brand names and trademarks, if you register it or if you register a design then there's going to be more value in that um, and then you can look at licensing opportunities whether you want to collaborate with people um, can you license it to a third party um, to use uh, and then you in return you'll get a, a royalty and that they'll pay you a fee for it 
Lovely. Roxanne, do you have any good examples of where, like, you know, you've had somebody that you've been working with that has maybe received a nice royalty check or any sort of, I don't know, people that come to mind from LCF? Um, yes. Yeah, so this is actually, um, I am sure there are LCF students. This was actually um, somebody from Central St. Martins last year, yeah. um, with um, Frederick Tianson. Um, his work, um, most people, unless they were somewhere else, would have maybe seen his works um, go viral last year, um, his bubble dresses. And I think that's something that's quite important to just highlight as well is we've talked about making informed decisions about what you share on social media when you share it how you share it to almost you know help have some creative control over your work but it's also being mindful that sometimes things can go viral before you've had a chance to even think about how you might position yourself with your branding and your reputation um in this example i think what was a really nice outcome for frederick very early on when he was really thinking about you know commissions for the garments themselves was really highlighting the value in the images it was the images of his works that um you know a number of publishers and magazines wanted to feature in their winter you know their winter collection and um so actually quite early on um his preliminary income was um also coming from um you know the images that he was able to kind of license out so he He's still only intellectual property in the images themselves, but he granted a license to those magazines to be able to feature them. And we, you know, we even kind of looked at in terms of like what you would charge for. You know, it's different if you're, you know, using a small image as part of something else. But these were like, you know, main feature spreads and things. So it's really thinking about, you know, strategically as well, thinking about that in terms of what you what you charge, who you work with, um, and if it's a an exclusive or a non-exclusive license. An exclusive license being where you would only, only that particular company or entity would be able to use your work in that way and, and no other competitors. So I think that's like the main, like really kind of concrete example of that. I think a way that I quite like to look at it is that fashion businesses traditionally have been designers and then it goes into manufacture. You yeah. don't necessarily need to think about yourself as a designer manufacturer. There's so many other ways that you can utilize your designs, your IP, rather than just making it into a physical garment. And I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but it's it's a way that I quite like to work with independent designers in my own practice at the moment of kind of, OK, you've got these brilliant designs or prints or creations or shapes or patterns or anything. What else can we do as well as manufacturing them? So I think it's kind of like thinking you've got your idea. How can we make it into kind of a multifaceted business rather than just manufacturing physical garments? And it kind of links to licensing, um, which both Roxanne and Andrew have discussed. Um, I feel like we managed to cover a range um, of themes in today's discussion. Obviously, we've got time constraints and IP is a massive, massive topic with so many different strands. Um, but I found found it really really informative and I hope that um, you know students are able to take on the information the advice um, you know the the guidance the signposting um, and you know uh, I guess get that additional help to, to be on their way um, and to um, I guess start asking more questions and feel more comfortable um, and have an understanding about their rights and that sort of thing. Um, so lastly um, I guess if you guys could leave 
maybe a top tip or um, you know a final key message for any of the uh, LCS students or uh, UAL students that are listening, um, what might that be? I think I quite like the concept that IP is the core of I guess what you are as a student and what you become as a small business. It's so valuable and it underpins kind of everything that you create um, both physically and virtually. So think think about really innovative ideas of how you can utilize that. Yeah, and I think just to build on on that as a as another tip, I think, you know, it's understanding and recognizing your own value. Um, and particularly through co-creation and collaboration, um, it's very rare you'll be working on your own in this industry. So it's really, you know, respecting your own rights. Don't undervalue yourself, essentially, but also respecting the rights of those you're collaborating with and being transparent, honest, human about these kind of conversations that will build relationships and, and hopefully successful business as well. Brilliant, and I think if we the final the final word from the from the legal expert in the room, Andrew. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. Um, I think they're all really good points, um, and I think the other thing I was going to say is, yeah, and um, you know, take stock on what you have. Look into whether you can register rights, because registered rights will really enhance that value we're talking about. Um, and then also, as we've reiterated throughout, don't overshare. Um, and, and make sure you're not giving away your best ideas for free because there is there is value in those they will be protected by IP so um, you know don't just give them out to anyone brilliant thanks so much guys